sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Rise and shine, sports fans. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Wednesday, August 19th. Let's cock-a-doodle do it. This is the early line right here on Sports Grid, giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez, and as always, I got my main man, Kevin Walsh, with me live and direct as we put the fun in functional sports content. Kev, a huge day in the NBA yesterday where not one but both. Number one seeds in the NBA playoffs went down. I think we could talk about this for different reasons, right? I think different, both the Bucs and the Lakers were kind of befelled by different parts of the game. But a big surprise yesterday, right out of the gate and plus money reigned supreme yesterday. Yeah, we, we see how sometimes uh, things end up regressing back to the middle after a 4-0 day for the favorites on day one, 4-0 ATS day for those favorites as well. Depending on how you list the Thunder, depending on when you got the number, three favorites, forget covering, lose outright. And the fact that we saw both one seeds, now, you know, people can talk about how much credit that they uh, give the Blazers going into this series, or they can talk uh, about how little they might believe in the Milwaukee Bucks as far as being uh, the true powerhouse in the Eastern Conference. But nobody was out there laying Blazers magic parlays. Uh, This hasn't happened in well over 15 years where we saw both uh, one seeds lose their opening game. And I think that's what ended up really making it so surprising is when we had already seen it to start the day, which was jaw-dropping, really, from the Milwaukee Bucks to then the same thing happened to the Lakers. It was nothing short of stunning. And we will continue to, uh, to talk through these games. Uh, I think, you, you know, the question is where do you start? What's the biggest story here? And you can argue a lot of different ways and it probably is, Blazers, Lakers, but I think it would be fairest to just keep this boat moving in chronological order. Um, and sure. I, you know, I would think this Magic Buck series, and you know, because as much as Blazers, Lakers will command headlines for some people, I'm sure was less surprising. The Magic just putting it to the box yeah. for a full 48, Dane, I'm sure was flooring a lot of people. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, Kevin, let's go inside here. Take people behind the curtain. I was texting you during this game. I was like, yeah, Orlando's up by like 10. Orlando's up by like 12. Yet they're still, you know, in-game live where I know you're on. Yeah, it looks like we just had uh, Dane drop there. Unfortunately, I'm sure we will get that settled up here for you guys. But yes, this is the thing, you know. And Dane and I, we were messaging kind of about the the lead that Orlando had, and the the you know the book certainly having the idea that they would come back in, and nobody blames them. Okay, the book has that idea because they know that betters have that idea, and I am sure a bunch of people uh, got to the window countless times in this game, expecting the Milwaukee Bucks 
to make that dent. And there was a point in the game in that second half where they made that dent. They came out and cut this lead to one point with 8.33 remaining in the third quarter. Now, I didn't get to see what the exact number was at that moment, but you would have to think that they were massive favorites as we welcome in our radio audience around the country right here on the Sports Grid for the early line, Kevin Walsh and Dane Martinez. The craziest thing, though, was that the Bucks did not pull this lead out at any point, and really what was most jarring, Dane, is the fact that Orlando offensively was consistent. This wasn't one random spurt. 33 points, then 29 right. points, then 30 in both the third and the fourth. They played a great full 48. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was going to say. I don't know if we heard everything, but like this wasn't, you know, kind of like a lucky uh, game. The Orlando Magic looked like the better team and were, you know, ahead the entire time. I mentioned before, Vukovic was kind of a man amongst boys. And honestly, this was part of the reason, Kev, why I was fading Milwaukee to begin with, right? I was saying that over the course of a long series, people are going to figure out how to defense this team. And, you know, Giannis can go out and get his, but will the others really step up? I mean, Chris Middleton, four out of 12. You can't have that. Bledsoe, under 50%. You know, that's what it's going to take. When these other teams start playing a slower half-court game against Milwaukee, just don't let them run. Have all eyes on Giannis. It's going to be up to these other guys. And the thing about it is, for me, this wasn't like, oh, the Bucs were sleepwalking and they got game one stolen from them, like you may say about the game last night, Kev. This, to me, was Orlando was ready to play. They did the things they wanted to do and with a better team yesterday. I mean, they were definitely the better team. You have to give them credit. But they were the more intense team. They yeah. were the team that, that wanted this game more, which is surprising to me. And it, it, look, if mm -hmm. you're going to pin this loss somewhere, my eyes run my, right to Mike Budenholzer. Mike okay. Budenholzer, by the way, has had postseason struggles long before getting to Milwaukee. When we talk about guys in Milwaukee that we need to see prove it to us in the playoffs. Budenholzer might... Uh, top that list, okay, before a Chris Middleton or certainly a, a Giannis Antetokounmpo. Chris Middleton had played 21 minutes going into the fourth quarter. He was out yeah. there running not just regular season rotations, regular se he was running exhibition game rotations yeah. in game one of the postseason, and the team never woke up because of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that is fair to say. And so we will see because the narrative now is going to be very interesting as they head to game two, but we're off and running here on the early line. We'll talk about the rest of the games and what's on the slate today when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line right here on SportsGrid, giving you the edge. Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh. And, Kev, you know, we had a huge 
kind of big time upset to, you know, open the day yesterday, but there was no shortage of action with four games on the slate. And that's going to be the case for, you know, the better part of the next two weeks, right? Where half the league is in action and they're just in essence, alternating days. So all the games that we saw on Monday, we will see game two of today, but we had game one of Miami and Indiana and going into this game, you know, a lot of was made about the fact that they, uh, faced each other in the sixth out of eight games in the restart that they faced each other in the eighth out of the eight games in the restart. And one of the narratives there were Jimmy Butler and TJ Warren, as you know, and, uh, I think, think Jimmy Butler got the better of him in this one. I would say, you know, TJ Warren had a nice game and all, but down the stretch, Jimmy Butler with multiple threes, you know, to really seal it and kind of keep that working margin for the heat when it got to crunch time. And that's what we talk about, right? Teams needing a closer at some point. Yeah. And look, as far as the beef between them, Jimmy said, it's done. It's done. They're not on the same level. And at this point, like, there's a series to be played, and Jimmy's proven that time and time again. Uh, and Jimmy Butler went out there and was fantastic. Game high, 28 points, went two two from three, both of them in massive moments. And they mentioned many times in that broadcast, he's been awful from three. Not just bad, not just below averages, right. terrible from three this year, but stepped up in the biggest spots uh, and made him count when he needed him. You're right, T.J. Warren played a fine game, but the big thing coming out of this game really is can the Pacers score enough at all to compete with this team? Now, I know Victor Oladipo left here early, and that that compounds the issue. Well, I think that this team, oh, they don't want if Victor Oladipo's out there. I don't know about that. Now, Victor Oladipo was out there when they played in game six of this restart, and they only put forward 92 points. But obviously not having Victor Oladipo is going to make this even harder for this team And I don't think we saw anywhere near Miami's best offensive performance because Duncan Robinson was pretty much a non-factor. Great stuff from Goran Dragic. Bam Adebayo was going uh, to win that matchup more times than not with Miles Turner. You know, I don't know if the Pacers have enough. They might be lucky to get a game when you look at what this offense is bringing to the table. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times you say, hey, the defender like had him in the Boston crab, you know, or something like that. So mm-hmm. in the event, right, that TJ Warren is, you know, in a sharpshooter or a figure four or something like this going on, where will it come from? You know, Oladipo, you, like you mentioned, left the game already only had nine minutes. Does it have to come from Malcolm Brogdon? Does it have to come from Holiday? Where, like, I understand you're saying the, the Pacers are going to have to look for places, right? Where Mm -hmm. might they look? Where do you think it would come? Because then tomorrow, that's what I'm going to be asking you about when we look at some of these prop bets. Where will it come? It can't be just TJ Warren. I know he went for 53 in a game, right? But especially if Oladipo is banged up and he did leave the game, as we talked about, we, we talk all the time about like Batman and Robin and the big three, right? And who else can support it? So who, who fills that bill for the pace? I don't know. I mean, but, but Brogdon, right, is going to have to step up. But yeah, 22 points, 10 assists. It, certainly, you want a more efficient day from Malcolm Brogdon. But, you know, he, he had some all right final numbers. You, you could at least look at it through that lens. You look towards mm-hmm. the bench. Is there what the bench Oh, and by the way, they actually had better bench scoring 
than the Miami Heat did. And that's not, mm. I don't think, going to be true uh, more often than not. You know, TJ McConnell played well. They, they had 35 total points from that bench unit there compared to the Heat's 30. Like, that's the problem. You know, you might, you know, Miles Turner is going up against one of the better defensive players in the league in Bam Adebayo, right? You know, getting right. forced out to the three-point line a little bit, never really looked in a rhythm. And in fact, he was a game worse, minus 19, compared to Bam Adebayo's game high, plus 23. So that right now is a nightmare here for the Indiana Pacers. And that's kind of what I'm getting at here. I don't think it's, oh, okay, well, this guy will step up and this guy will step up. Right, right, right. No, they might just score 100. <laughs> Fair enough. And it's interesting because we've been talking about Indiana. I remember mentioning to you, oh, no, bonus shot profile is different. They're not really an under team. They've actually been over. So remember, let's keep that, uh, file that away for tomorrow morning because I already see that the total in that game, game two, as of now, is 214 and a half. And you're thinking that the Pacers could struggle to get to triple digits. I want to talk about the next game, Kev, that was up on the slate yesterday. And, you know, it's it's funny, right? The Oklahoma City Thunder were that kind of underdog for the series that a lot of people were wondering about. No Wessel Westbrook. Oh, would it be okay? I ask you all the time, Kev, if the Rockets shoot 40% from three, they can beat anybody. Well, they didn't even do that yesterday, okay? They go 20 of 52. 52 three-point attempts, Kev. I think that's an interesting number. But the Rockets get it done. 123-108. They put up 68 in the first half, Kev. And they started the game offensively. Terrible. Now, Billy Donovan gets a lot of praise, right? Co-coach of the year, all that jazz. I think it's massively overstated. This Thunder team is nowhere okay. as bad as people like to pretend. He was supposed to have three of his five starters traded. They didn't trade him. It's a good roster. They're where they should be without those moves. And Billy Donovan left a lot to be desired when you think about that Westbrook combination alongside Paul George and how they defended Damian Lillard when that team got mm. bounced, playing drop coverages and not forcing the ball out of Lillard's hand, and Lillard made them pay, and that series was done in five. And, you know, I mentioned OKC from the start and how I like this group, but you continue to do your research over the weekend. And, you know, I kind of came across that point, and I, I started to think to myself here, all right, well, we're going to have to see then what they do with James Harden. Because if they force the ball out mm. of his hands, then good. Right. But if they, you know, are letting Harden get whatever he wants, this is going to be a disaster. And lo and behold, they let Harden get whatever he wants. I mean, they didn't right. even have Lugans Dort, who's supposed to be their guy to stop Harden, which, like, I'll see it when I see it. I don't, you know, he's not some respected all-NBA caliber guy in sure, this right. league. And they still proceeded to just let him have isolation. It's James Harden. Like, what are you thinking? And it was only compounded for me when I hear that on the broadcast. They're like, oh, we talked to Billy Donovan, and he said, you know, we're going to have to live with that, make Harden beat us. Are you – hello? Well, he'll beat you. He'll do it. No problem. Asking right. you shall receive 37 points. And this was far from the best game, uh, I think, that you can see from Harden. Like, he, look, he was awesome. I'm oh, not yeah. saying he wasn't awesome. But, like, he can do more. We know that when it comes to James Harden. So I think that this is a game that can go back and forth. But – I now am nervous about showing up to back OKC because I think their defensive game plan was awful. 
Well, let me ask you about this because I have heard this before and I do think it is the exact valid pick your poison that we discussed yesterday, Kev, right? With a guy like Harden, with a guy like Damian Lillard right now, with a guy like Giannis, right? We have discussed this, right? Option A is you try to frustrate the star. You double team the star. You run the extra bodies at the star. You force the ball out of the star's hand, right? And then you got ball movement and it's up to the other people to beat you, right? And that's what I was saying about Damian Lillard yesterday, right? Option B is you don't leave those guys, right? You play it straight up. You understand that the superstar, Giannis, Harden, Lillard, whatever, could go off, but you're not going to let everyone else beat you. Isn't that really like option A or option B, the pick your poison? And I thought, Kevin, that previously we had discussed both as almost valid. So if Donovan's like, hey, if Harden gets his, say, la vie, I mean, it didn't work for them. But isn't that a valid approach to pick your poison? I don't think it's valid when Russell Westbrook is not here. I don't think it's valid okay. then. Because if, I, if I'm double trapping high and the ball gets out of his hand, the ball then is put into the middle and Westbrook's there, he can create, he can attack, he can cause havoc. Right. The rest of the, there's not a single guy in this court that averaged over two assists a game this year for the okay. Houston Rockets. Make P.J. Tucker make a good pass. Make Bobby Covington make a good pass. You, you have to, because otherwise things are just going to be way too easy for this team. All right, fair enough. We will see if there's any changes to Donovan's approach when we hit game two. When we come back, we talk about Portland, L.A., but let's get caught up on all the news here from SportsGrid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here on the early line. We especially, of course, welcome in our radio audience from around the country, including the mightier 1090 over there in Southern California, waking up real early with us, Dane Martinez, and, of course, Kevin Walsh. Kev, we welcome everybody in from the West Coast, and it is time to talk about some teams from the West Coast. That Lakers-Blazers game is very intriguing, Kev. I know we were kind of on opposite sides of this. The Portland Trailblazers do get it done 100 to 93. Um, you know, Damian Lillard plays well. Not, you know, to your point, though, about like James Harden, there's still more in the tank for Damian Lillard, as we know, right? He can do more. McCollum with a decent game as well. They get 11 out of Carmelo Anthony. But I want to ask you about the Lakers side of this, okay? I have two questions for you about the Lakers. And I know you're big into the Lakers. This isn't a like, I told you so about this series. Two legit kind of things that I wonder if either one of them gives you any cause for concern, having nothing mm. to do with Portland. One is the way the Lakers are shooting the rock. Kev, like this is something that has been going on in the bubble and continues, right? I mean, first of all, from three, they shot five of 32 for 15%, but from the field, 35% for the game is not going to get it done. That's number one. Number two, Kev, we joked about it about a month ago when we were starting to get opt-outs, right? And the decisions and Avery Bradley not being there. I'm not saying he's the most important player in the world and all that, right? But when you have no Bradley, and at least for right now, no Rondo. I know he's clearing the quarantine and all that. 
But when you have those guys who can defend in the backcourt against this backcourt, you know, and it compromises the depth, uh, is that eventually going to be an issue? Which of the two, if any, gives you more concern, their shooting or maybe lack of depth in the backcourt and the kind of depth that they can use in this series? So I think we can talk about both. So when it comes to the defensive depth, you look at yeah. it and, you know, Lillard, 34 points, 5-5. Five and five. He shot pretty well from an efficiency standpoint. 6-13 of 13 from 3 is very good. Made all of his free throws. 9-20 of 20 more from the floor. Can be better, no doubt about that. McCullum was also pretty good. But these weren't world-beating performances. I think what right. they'll be upset a little bit about as this team was you know, some of the fouls and, you know, some of that had to maybe do with, with the refs and uh, that whistle being very tight in that first half, the, the Blazers shot 27 first half free throws. Okay. The Bucks were the yeah. only team that shot more than that over the course of the full game on yesterday's slate. They had shot 28. That's how many free throws the Blazers had shot in the first half. They only made like three field goals in that second quarter, but they had shot that many free throws. And obviously uh, that was fine for them. And I think we, we spoke about this a little bit. We were asking the question of you know, the Blazers playing so many legitimate games versus the Lakers not. Right. You know, could the Lakers struggle to kick it into gear? And the Blazers yes. won the first quarter by 11, right? They had at one point uh, had at least a 13, if not a 15-point lead. And that now puts mm-hmm. you behind the eight ball. And you got to exert a lot of energy to get yourselves back out in front. And we saw that play out. But as far as the Lakers' shooting performance goes, it is almost impossible to overstate how poor this was. And the Lakers, from a three-point shooting perspective, are not a great team, but 5 of 32 is laughable. Right. Every single player that shot a three had a bad three-point shooting day, except for Marquise Morris's one-for-one performance. (laughs) I mean, every single guy was miserable from deep. They get two of eight from Danny Green. They shoot, on average, 32 threes a game, right, over the course of the regular season. They make about 11 of those threes. So if they just shot Mm -hmm. bang average, they win the game by 11 points, right? And I'm just talking bang average. If you split the difference of what they gave you and what their average is, which is still then a very poor shooting performance, they win this basketball game. From the free throw line, they were below their averages. And they had two trips to the line, down two on consecutive possessions, where AD went to the line AD, and came yeah. up empty, and then LeBron went to the line yeah. and came up empty. And that obviously was a big swing in this game. And then you said it as well, though. So the Lakers, not necessarily a great free-throw shooting team, not a, not a great three-point shooting team, but they have the best field goal percentage in the entire league over the course of the regular season. Not last night. 48%. 35% last night. Are you kidding me? Anthony Davis, 8 of 24, that's just no way. There's no way that can be. And him being tied with Danny Green for a minus 20 was jarring. But I will ask this simple yeah. question, okay? These two defensive mm-hmm. performances that we saw, which one do you believe is more sustainable? I don't know that I buy the premise of the question. I, I mean, the answer to your question would be I have more trust in the Lakers' defense, Right. Um, but the other part of this for me, Kev, is, you know, when you talk about, Hey, if they just hit their bang on average, they win this game, right? 
This is not, I, I don't know though that this is just one, a one-off kind of outlier. And that's the way I, I would like to frame this, right? Like they were struggling shooting the ball in the bubble, right? So yes, you're right when you say, oh, if you just give them their average, but they have been dragging that average down consistently over the last few games in the bubble. So while you're right, this is just one. And while you're right, I don't think Portland will be able to bow up defensively, right? Nurkic is going to get tired. Hassan Whiteside looks like he has stints of when he is caring. I get it. Gary Trent Jr. cannot handle LeBron in the post. If he just wants to back him down, he could probably do that every single possession. I give you that, Ev, but it takes two to tango. The Lakers are going to still have to hit shots. And while they were under their average, like you say, I mean, it, it's just like I'm, I'm getting a little bit less confident that they'll be able to just flip the switch. Now, I know you could say they were rusty. They didn't play an important game for weeks. Meanwhile, the Blazers have had the pressure on them. I give you that. And a lot of people thought about maybe they could steal game one or the rust in the first quarter. But they have to fix this, Kev. And I don't know that the Blazers' defense is the only part of the equation, right? The Lakers themselves have to put the ball in the net. Yeah, look, if we at the end of game two go, oh, wow, the Lakers again with only 100 points, then 100%, right? Like we are looking at this, then, oh, wow, this is dangerous. And the Lakers, I believe I saw I've had three of their like four worst offensive uh, outputs in the bubble. There's a very right. real world where the analysis here is, for whatever reason, the Lakers can't get settled in the bubble. And right. you then can have a totally separate conversation about what that might mean for legacies and roster construction. But at the end of the right. day, if they can't get set in the bubble, then they're in trouble. There's no two ways about it. If, if right. they can't get themselves comfortable. But it, this is a... Team. Like the, the point that I'm making is the Blazers shot above their three point average actually in this game and scored mm -hmm. 100 points. The Lakers have a very good defense. The Blazers do not. They have a terrible defense. So to me, when we go into game two, right? Anthony Davis has been hot and cold during this restart. And if AD goes out there, and, and I'm telling you right now, I'm going to look to hopefully play some AD props, depending on the numbers provide, maybe some performance right. doubles with, you know, 40 yeah. and a Lakers win. Like, he should go up. LeBron James, 23, 16, and 17. I mean, it's a just, it's he's still breaking records. First player to ever have, I think, what was it, 2015 and 15 in a playoff game? Something along those lines, or oldest player to do, whatever mm -hmm. it was. Yeah, I mean, he's just still, yeah. just shattering records still and, and out there Absolutely. being excellent. So, I, again, I, I think for this team, that is going to be the big difference maker. And to be fair, though, Dane, if you just take a look, and I know you have to watch these games, right, but on the surface level, you see these box scores. I mean, you got right, the yeah. with this game by 20 points. They were up, you know, mm -hmm. they were up at points in this fourth quarter. They only lose this game by seven points. I, I just, I would be surprised, okay? And in fact, I'd be floored. And I think most people, even the people that like the Blazers, would have to agree that this is going to be the worst offensive performance from the Lakers in this series. Sure. I buy that. Right. But you can also make an argument that there's more in the tank for the Blazers offense to keep up as well. You know, and I think 
here's the thing, Kev, when you're saying like, maybe, right, the Lakers just can't play well in the bubble, right? They can't adjust to the bubble. Maybe the shooting eye is different. I tell you all the time about the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, how people literally can't shoot there. It is different with the depth perception. Maybe that's the case, right? But I guess my question back for you, Kev, is at what point do we start to believe that theory, right? Because you can't, at, at some point, you're not going to be able to say, oh, but their average for the season is this. You know, at but, some point, you're going to have to be like, well, what we're now seeing in the bubble the next- is, is what's real, you know, and what we have to go on. So I, I, at what point, and we've been talking about these other yeah. Lakers players, right? We've been talking about all the other guys who don't necessarily have the championship experience. The same with Giannis, right? We're like, oh, it's going to come down to Chris Middleton and, you know, Matthews and people like this. Well, I'm going to tell you, Kev, if Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green combined to go three of 13 from three-point range, right, this is going to be a problem for the Lakers. I don't care if they're playing on the damn moon or they're playing Space Jam 2. Right. This is what's going to have to happen in the same way we talk about the other guys with Giannis, the other guys with Arden, the other guys with Dame Dollar. We talk about it being a top heavy team, or at least I do with the Lakers. Right. So Kuzma, Danny Green, uh, KCP, these guys are going to have to figure it out and do it with mounting pressure on them. If, you know, Dame Dollar, CJ McCollum and Carmelo Anthony and Gary Trent Jr. are still firing away well those are the four games from yesterday we've got four game twos on the horizon for today and we will get into them against the spread totals prop bets so many ways to skin the cat and we will do so when we come back that's what we do give you the edge on sports grid right here on the early line SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here on The Grid and to the early line. I'm Dane Martinez. Some people call me the spitting statistician, stable genius, and vocal minority. And I've got my main man, Kevin Walsh, as always. Some people call him Kevin. Um, But as we get into it here, we've got game twos on the horizon today. And this is awesome, Kev. Yet another day with like, you know, 12 full hours of basketball four games back to back so let's get into it let's do it in chronological order the first one are these toronto raptors who took care of business in game one they have nets again 11 and a half points is the spread now i gotta ask you like toronto in game one you know boat race this Nets team but then the nets showed grit in the second mm-hmm. half to kind of claw back but the outcome was never really in doubt right so like do you think this presents similar to game one or will there be tremendous adjustments? This is still pretty much Karis Levert. And I, I, I forget the pronunciation that like French dude with the hyphenated last name that does not seem to be able to miss from three. <laughs> uh, yeah. TLC uh, six of yeah. nine in that last game. He was look, he was fantastic. He actually was le- their leading scorer at 26 points and only uh, FVV. Like, where does he come from? Like, who are these dudes? You know, like, we know 
Like yeah. three members of the Nets are opted out or not playing, right? You know about two of the top 10 players in the world who are on the sidelines mm-hmm. or, the, you know, there as well. And then, you know, oh, but Karis LeVert can drop 37. Oh, you know, like this dude just doesn't seem to miss. Like, are yeah. they growing on trees in Brooklyn? Listen, I, I mean, you know, guys are going to have to step up at the end of the day. There are shots to be taken. And, you know, uh, TL, again, TLC right. gets the job done. He was, he was in Philly for a little bit, uh, which is interesting okay. enough. Look, I, I take a look here from game one, right? And the Raptors had what should be the, the best offensive game that they could put forward in, in a series. That's not to say that the, the, the Nets have some type of stout defense, but 32 of 33 from the line shooting a clean 50% from three on 44 attempts. I mean, they were fantastic offensively. And, you know, the Brooklyn Nets obviously left a ton to be desired in that department, but a lot of that was because the first quarter, it never showed up. And you mentioned, right, this game was pretty much done from the outset. Now, they cut the lead back down to nine, which is pretty incredible considering they were down 33. Like the fact that at one point you were covering again uh, was, you know, had to be pretty refreshing. I think this comes down to two school of thoughts though. Okay. So the Raptors side of things is as good as they did play offensively. Kyle Lowry's three of 14 performance and three of 10 from deep, as well as Pascal Siakam's four of 13 performance and one of four from deep. I think both of those guys undoubtedly have better, or more efficient nights in them. And if that comes, and that will obviously help quell any concerns about some offensive regression that they could be due for in game number two. I think the bigger thing, though, and maybe where uh, I might end up hanging my hat here, is Brooklyn should really be learning from quarters two through four. We got to run. We got to push the pace. And Mm. we certainly can't let this team separate and have a 17-point lead after one. You got to think, Dane, that they had found somewhat of a rhythm uh, and something that was working for them. Now, yeah, maybe that that plan was TLC just hitting every single uh, three he <laughs> took, right? Could be. And you know what? That's a great play to run if, if it keeps working. But as much Karis Levert pick and roll, as much out in transition as possible. Uh, you know, you don't want to let the Raptors get too set in their half court defense. I, I think here for uh, you know when we're staring at this game. We've got pretty much two points, one or two points added on here to the Brooklyn Nets side after game one. I think this is a good chance for us to come back around on Brooklyn and take the points. Yeah, you know, remember, there is that good old zigzag theory in the NBA playoffs, right? And this could be a spot for Brooklyn. Maybe they're not going to get the W, right? But for them to maybe keep it a little bit closer than last time. You mentioned, though, Kev, that both Siakam and Lowry didn't necessarily have great shooting performances in game one. Maybe they were closet Lakers. You know what I mean? But so I ask you here in the profit market, which of these two guys would you be more confident would kind of bounce back and have, you know, potential value maybe going over their points prop total? Pascal Siakam stands at 22 and a half. Kyle Lowry stands at 20 and a half. Although I got to tell you the truth, Kev, I'm looking for like a Kyle Lowry drawn charges prop. You think oh, they would ever hang yeah. something like that, right? I might play like, oh, there's over one and a half made threes, over two and a half made threes. I would literally play over one and a half, like, you know, drawn charges for Kyle Lowry. But who do you think will be kind of the linchpin for this Raptors offense? Lowry or Siakam? As I mentioned, Siakam 22 and a half, Lowry 20 and a half as a prop bet 
maybe uh, you know positive regression for one or most or both of them. Yeah, look, I mean, Lowry over ten and a half times on the ground might be the safest bet. Right. <laughs> and the dude, like, it, it's nonstop. He took a charge right? in the All Star game, Kev. <laughs> yeah, well, he tried to, right? That was him who tried to get it, and then they called the block. And you know what? That's what you get, Kyle Lowry. What a what a, what a nuisance. Um, I look, I think you know the Lowry side of things. But, but, but Kev, interesting. Kev, he is a nuisance. Though, hold on, he's a nuisance. But he might be yeah. like a Hall of Fame nuisance. You know what I mean? So, like, I'll take that kind of nuisance on my squad. Oh, I mean, no, look, they should be happy they have him. I would just say that, like, and look, it's every single fan base does this, though. But there are certain fan bases that should be, like, should not be, like, man, you flopped, right? Like, if, if a Houston Rockets fan, right, was like, can you believe these floppers? You'd be like, dude, what the? Stop, right? Like, Kyle Lowry. <laughs> goes out of his way to dribble into people to fall on the floor. He does it all the time. It's a smart move. It draws fouls. It gets the call more times hey, than if it works, doesn't. hey. Chris Paul does the same exact thing, right? Like, I'm not you saying, know, I'm I just mean, saying, like, you have to hear, like, all oh, these flops. Like, oh, it's just like, he's <laughs> one of the biggest in the league. But it's smart. It's good. It's, it's smart basketball. Um, Are I you talking Mr. Lawrence by accident by any chance? I mean, listen, geez, Louise, you would think you would think that somebody would know better than to overreact to or the Orlando Magic beating a team in round one, game number one. But <laughs> that's for another time. I I, I think you Fair play enough. both these guys over though, Dan. I, I think I, okay. I might look to play both these guys over because neither guy was far off because they were both able to get to the line, and I think that can remain. And I think with a little bit better shooting, you, you know, you can find yourself flying. Over these numbers. I think if I had to only play one, probably Kyle Lowry. I mean, if he's going to be shooting that much from deep, then I, I think I'm going to find myself pretty then, you know, pretty interested in a lower number. But I will just make this point for people. Both of these guys' point props, I believe, have added a point from where they were hmm. in game number one. So the book as well is expecting better offensive performances and expecting people to come in and bet them. And maybe they already have overnight. Yeah, I mean, that could be why the, the the money has moved the number as well overnight. Also, by the way, we were talking about TLC. Yeah, TLC made threes is at two and a half. And I'm not kidding. The man does not miss. And he has the green light to fire away. I might be interested in over two and a half threes for your new boy, TLC. In the next game that I do want to talk about, we've got the Utah Jazz, Sans Mike Conley, who is still there for the birth of his child against these Denver Nuggets. Denver got the job done in game one. Here they now sit in game two. They are still favored. It's a four-point favorite. Uh, 217 and a half is the total in this one. The Nuggets on the money line are minus 174 favorites. Did you see anything from game one that you thought was an outlier, you know, that would not necessarily be the case here. To be quite honest, the only thing for me was that Michael Porter Jr. was like almost played off there because of his defense and not shooting the ball well. If he is added to this offense, being the dynamic present that he is, it's even more trouble for the Jazz. Are you looking at the loss of Conley, or are you looking at like Jamal Murray keeping it going because he and Jokic got it going at the end of that game one? What are you looking for here in game two that might look different from game one as both of these teams try to adjust? So I know the side is obviously, you know, going to attract people, especially when you're in the, yeah. when you're in the playoffs, who's going to win, who's going to cover, but I'm right. fascinated by the total heading into this game because Donovan Mitchell, again, is not going to play that well. That is preposterous. If he does, 
I don't really know what I'll be even be able to say. He scored the third most points in the history of an NBA playoff game. So you would think that there's then going to be some pretty considerable regression there. And maybe you might, oh, well, then they'll have other guys step up. I don't know about that necessarily. I think I might reject <laughs> that premise. So the Jazz then offensively should probably put forward a bit less of a you know output. The Nuggets are coming off of a game where they shot 51.5% from the field and 54 and a half pretty much percent from three. So here's the interesting thing. The Denver Nuggets have played nine games since in this bubble. Every single one of them has gone over. Now their first game against the jazz would have gone under based on the regulation number. They got to overtime. They've now played here again. They got to overtime to be fair though. This game did go over and somewhat comfortably before we got there. That though is because the fourth quarter, Saw a 69-point quarter, which is pretty jarring, and you would think that things might get a little bit tighter in the fourth quarter. So you've talked about the zigzag theory here, Dane. Yeah. And I am trying to figure out if I am maybe overthinking this and I Mm. am foolishly contemplating going against this unbeaten over team in the Denver Nuggets since we've shown up to the bubble, or could it be time to zag on this number and come back around and go under. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. When you look at the total, a guy, Dave, uh, in one of our social media departments talked about some of these trends, right. And the nuggets totals was in fact, one of them. I want to ask you about jazz players though. I mean, Donovan Mitchell went off for what? 57 last time you talked about how it was the third best in playoff history, not to be outdone. I want to ask you if, uh, you want to come and zag on that one and you know instead of zig kev because now his prop bet it's 29 and a half for Donovan Mitchell and kev it was similar to when you know Damian Lillard went up to like 38 and a half for his total you know i was like eh, if i'm looking at numbers the smart play is to actually go back under this cuz this is inflated however Donovan Mitchell is the way they're going to score, right? He's the one getting it done. The ball is in his hands all the time. Do you think Spider goes off a 30-burger again? And more importantly, does he have to for the Jazz to get a win? Well, here's the interesting thing. So in the reset, he scored 20 points in the opener. Then he scored 13. Mm. Then he scored 33 points. Then he scored 18. Then he scored 35 points. Then he scored 11. Although that, to be fair, that was in 11 minutes. But yeah, that's the thing with Donovan Mitchell. We've seen a number of times him kind of fluctuate. Now, I'm going to quickly just want to pull up uh, his postseason performance from last year and kind of get a a little bit of a a grip for his big games. And his first two games against the Rockets were pretty poor, 19-11. Then they went back to Utah. He had 34, then 31. Then they went back to Houston, and he actually had 12. So it was really uh, he did nothing pretty much on the road. And we obviously don't have that as a situation here. But I think what you know, kind of what we're getting at, the idea that Donovan Mitchell is an up than down guy. Yeah, I think the only way you play it is the under. Now, do I have it in me to actually make that move? I'm not sure because he should really have all of the touches. Like they should all be his. Um, but if you <laughs> want to back Mitchell, you know, even this assist prop of five and a half, he had seven. Uh, but also, it's kind of what we're talking about. You know, if you're going to go against, maybe you don't have to go against Donovan Mitchell. But maybe there are some other guys here that you can try and back in the props market, though. 
I, I see, think right? Ingles, Clarkson, and Gobert all went over their numbers. I just wonder if this is a zag game for the total, and we might have to play it under. No, that's fair. Remember, I also told you about Joe Ingles and his assists. The prop was five and a half last game. He got six. Today, it's six and a half. What do you know? We've got more NBA games to discuss when we come back. Keep it locked. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, here on the early line, giving you the edge on sports grid, Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh, as usual. Kev, you know, we, we, we talk about European soccer, right, in the pandemic. We had a ton to cover in Bundesliga, how the fans were doing, all that good stuff, the, the cardboard cutouts and all that good stuff. Well, there are now only three club teams left in Europe for the ultimate prize because in yesterday's semi, Paris Saint-Germain, and I love just saying that, right? Paris Saint-Germain got a 3 nothing victory over Leipzig. Angel Di Maria put one in the net. They had it going on. They advanced to the final. They will face the winner of today's semifinal. Lyon, also from France, takes on the heavy favorite from the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich, they go off. Remember, it is the three-way money line here, even in the knockout stages of a tournament. Bayern minus 450 on the three-way money line to get the job done in 90 minutes and see PSG in a final. Yeah, look, this should be a fun one here. I know a lot of people believe that Bayern Munich uh, will steamroll not only Lyon, but probably PSG. Uh, if that is, you know, what, what Bayern is able to do and get to that point in the right. final. I will say this, you know, we've looked at this futures market each time there's been an update here in this round. Bayern mm -hmm. were minus 200 to win the Champions League. They're now minus 175. If you are someone that believes that this is Bayern Munich's Champions League to win, or I guess maybe to lose, right, then there's actually a good argument to be made that you should be playing the minus 175 because, right. you know, it was minus 200. The more difficult team than in PSG got forward because they had to account for if it was Leipzig. Their number comes down a little bit because they still have to win this game. But you would think that means then against PSG on the money line, based on these numbers, they will be, you know, maybe minus 210, minus 220 right. in that game. I think it's possible. So there's a very realistic uh, argument to be made that Bayern minus 175 to win Champions League is a value play. Yeah, absolutely. Good way to look at that now. Uh, you might be able to get the value. They got to win two games, right? And PSG only has one left to win, so there's a little bit of extra bump there. So maybe minus 175 Bayern is the value. We got a jam-packed hour number two. More NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball games, and our guy Cam comes in to talk golf as well. Locked right here on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.